Go to Romans chapter 11. You can stand as you look for that. Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. You can go down to verse number 33. And then keep your Bibles handy. We have a couple different places that we're going to go. We have a lot of places we could go. And I've, uh, again, it's way bigger than I feel like I can portray. Um, So I try to narrow it down to some places that we'll go. But Romans chapter 11, uh, verse number 33. We'll read to the end of the chapter. The Bible says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor, or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for just... This place, Lord, uh, the people that are here, uh, your church that uh, you gave yourself for, and we're thankful to be a part of it. We're thankful that we that you found us, that we found you, and that you redeemed us and saved us, and and give us an opportunity to live for you, Lord. I pray that you just take these this time here um, to be profitable, Lord. I pray that you'll allow me to to have a clear mind and say the things that uh, would be helpful and that would give you uh, what you deserve, Lord. I just pray that uh, you'll bless everything that happens here tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So again, this was supposed to be a New Year's Eve sermon, and I was kind of thinking along that line of starting new and having a whole new year to look forward to. Um, And then I got sick and, you know, all the New Year's resolutions. I just said, who cares about all those just to get me better? Um, And those went out, out the window. But, you know, we're here, what, it's the 17th of January. So you've had a little over two weeks to fail on your New Year's Eve, New Year's resolutions, or maybe you're going strong and that's great, continue to do so. If you did fail, just start again. It's Monday's coming soon. You can just start over on Monday. Give yourself the rest week off. Um, but as I was preparing this, this thought, and, and the title of the, of the message is For His Glory. And so you can kind of, if you, if you think about that, His glory, God's glory, and being able to, to preach on that and actually do justice to that is, is near impossible. Um, but it just was a thought that I, and, and a thing that it just has stuck with me literally for months. So have you ever had the thought at some point in your life, and maybe again New Year's Eve or New Year's resolutions that kind of happens, uh, why am I here? Like why am I here on earth? Like why do I exist? Right? These are those like, whoa, whoa, okay. Real deep questions. Um, or, you know, what's my purpose? You know, and as a Christian, asking those questions and answering those questions are a little bit different than if you just, like, if you Google, why am I here? Oh, don't do that one. Uh, just, there's, there's crazy things out there, and people have crazy ideas, and, and people are, have no hope and are lost and don't know why they're here and don't feel that there is a purpose for their existence, right? And so as a Christian, to say, you know, why, what is my purpose? Why do I exist? Why do I live? Why do I wake up every morning, go to work, go to school, eat my food, go to sleep again, do these things. Why do we do these things? What is the reason for that? Or even if you take it a step further, why did God create anything? Why did God create the earth? Why did he, why did he spend six days creating all, everything that's in existence, including humankind? What, why? Why did he do that? And there could be a lot of different answers. Um, there could be a lot of, of small answers that lead up to a bigger answer. Um, but if we as Christians, I think these are questions we should ask ourselves. I think these are questions that we should have a grasp on for our life. Why am I here? And it's, it's not just to sleep, work, eat, 
have fun, sleep, work, eat, not have fun, sleep, work, eat. That's not, that's not the purpose for our living. Those are things we do, and it, it, it's part of living, but it's not the reason. And so as Christians, if we go and take that time to think, again, coming into a new year, what, what's my purpose, why am I here, and then even further, why did God create every, anything? And everyone desires to have a purpose, right? Everyone wants to have meaning, wants their life to have meaning. They may not have aspirations to be the best basketball player ever or to be president of the United States or to be an astronaut. You know, we may not have those giant aspirations, but everybody wants their life to mean something. No one wants to feel like my existence and my life means nothing. It's just, it's just that's all it is, eat, sleep, work, eat, sleep, work. No one wants that. So we want meaning, we want purpose. Why do you do what you do, right? Why do, why do you work the job you work? Well, to pay your bills, to live in the house that you live in, to exist. You know, why, why do you get up each morning? What's, what drives you to, be, to, to, be, to do what you did? What drives you to get ready and come to church on a Wednesday night when it's only 18 degrees outside? What drives you to do that? Is it just normalcy, it's routine, it's duty? You feel like you have to, you are brought because you have no choice and you aren't, can't drive on your own and you just, mom said I had to go. You know, what's, what's, why do you get up every morning? And when you think about why God has created what he created, God does everything he does and has ever done with a purpose. God is the author of, he, he is, there's order in everything he does. There's no happenstance. God does everything he has ever done and ever will do on purpose, for a reason, right? God's purpose or reason for creation should be important to us as his people. We should, we should value why he created what everything. And again, if we're Christians and we believe that God created everything, we should be asking ourselves at some point in our life and even reminding ourselves why. Why did he do these things? And possibly even answer our question for why we exist with the answer of why God created what he created. Because I think they go hand in hand. I think they are the same thing. So to not, not to keep everybody in suspense, I think we know the answer. Or I believe God tells us what the answer is. And I propose to you that the reason God created all that he created was for his glory. For him. <clears throat> Colossians 1.16 says, For by him were all things created, that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him. Do you know the last three words? And for him. Everything that God created in those six days, everything that he set up to in motion that has continued for thousands of years intentionally, he did on purpose. And the reason he did those things is for him to receive glory. And before we start thinking like a human being, how, pri how prideful. Look at me, look what I did. No, 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 that's us. That's humans, that's what we do. We think we do something awesome or like everybody applaud me. I won the chili contest, aren't, aren't I special? No, that's, that's us as human beings who are sinful and carnal and prideful. God is none of those things and he deserves the praise and the glory for the things that he has done. But that is the purpose for him in creating everything was for his glory. And so, not to get ahead of myself too far, but if you think about that, if that's the purpose for his creating of everything he created, and you ask the question, why do I exist? What is my purpose? Your answer might fall into place into giving God glory. That might be part of the, the not part of, that might be the reason why we exist as human beings, 
is to give him glory. Uh, if you want to go to 1 Chronicles real quick, 1 Chronicles chapter 16. And again, we, there are so many passages I could go to. I mean, literally dozens and dozens of them that prove God's glory and why, why he deserves glory and why he, he wants glory and why he desires glory for his namesake, for who he is, for what he has done. Colossi or, I'm sorry, 1 Chronicles chapter 16, go down to verse number 23. 1 Chronicles 16, verse number 23. The Bible says, Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Show forth from day to day his salvation. Declare his glory among the heathen. There's a purpose for you. His marvelous works among all nations. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He also is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Glory and honor are in his presence. Strength and gladness are in his place. Give unto the Lord, ye kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of, his, of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. The world also shall be stable that it not be moved. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice and let men say among the nations, the Lord reigneth. Let the sea roar and the fullness thereof. Let the fields rejoice and all that is therein. I mean, we could continue and go, and there's so many passages that are so similar to this. And when we, again, professed Christians, right, believe that God is who he says he is, this is the glory that he is owed, that is due him because he is who he is, right? God, God is glory, right? God has glory. He, he already has it. He exists he existed with glory before the earth was created. Before he created anything, he had glory, right? That existed already. So a few of the words that glory means, and I, have, I only have three points tonight, and I, I think they're probably going to be fairly short because they're just, they're facts. And, and I'll leave it to the end for you to, to do with what those facts are and what you do with that in your life. But the word glory is used hundreds of times throughout Scripture. And through the Old Testament, it's about, there's uh, four or five different meanings or, or Hebrew words that it comes from. And the New Testament is mainly one Greek word that it uses. So I'm going to give you the definitions of these words glory and the different times that it's used. We won't go through and, and look at them all, but I just want you to know the meanings of these words glory and how they all apply to God and, and how they describe different parts of glory that he's deserved. So the very first one is kabod. It's, it's weightiness a heaviness, um, important, right? That's, that's a word used often. Probably the most often used in the Old Testament is, is kabod, which is just a weightiness, the glory that he, he is owed and deserves. It's, it's important. It's, there's a lot to it. It's, it's big. It's massive. Another word is hadar, and that's splendor or magnificence. Another one, uh, so we did kabod. We have kabad, which is heavy or burdensome. Right? There's, there's different words. And not every word of glory here is used in, in regards to the Lord. There's, there's glory used like in regards to treasure or gold, the glory of something, the glory of somebody. Right? And just that could be splendor or, or heaviness. Uh, halal is another one. It's shine or clear. Right? It's like the, the glory of the sun. Right? The sunshine, the rays of sun, that, that's glory. That word is used often like when Moses' face shone. The glory of the Lord was shown. That's that word that's used there. It's about shininess and brightness and clearness. 
Um, there's also hod, which is grandeur, right? Just, and we, that's not a word we use often in just common discussions, uh, but grandeur is just, it's, it's oppressive. It's big. There's a lot to it. Um, and in the New Testament, the word is used as doxa, which is dignity, honor, praise, worship. So all these words do describe the Lord and are used to describe the Lord. A lot of them sometimes are used for other things as well. But the word glory, and we, get a, we understand what it is. It can be brightness, it can be praise, it can be worship, it can be importance, grandeur, dignity, right? And these are things that all apply to who the Lord is and, and what he deserves. So that's God's glory. Now, how does, how does God receive glory, right? So if we're Christians and we ask the question, why did God create everything he creates? And we come to the conclusion, hopefully by the end of this, that it's because he wants glory and deserves glory. How does he get that? How does God get glory? Like if, if someone were to in, uh, give us glory or give us compliments, it's somebody giving us something, right? They say something about your character or your chili or something like that, right? They, they honor you with things that you have done or who you are. Don't do that um, <clears throat> to me. But how does God get glory? Does he need us as his creation to give him glory? Does, is that the only way he receives it? Is if we, as his creation, or even the earth as his creation and his creatures, give him that glory? I would propose to you that God is perfect and, and gets glory without his creation. With or without us, God has glory because he is glory. He deserves glory. He, he, he possesses it without us or with us. Okay, so if we, if we believe that, and, and I think the... the passage you read in Chronicles there is that glory is already part of him and exists without us. So if he never created the earth, if he never created everything in six days, humanity never existed, he still is God. He still has glory. He still is holy, right? That he doesn't change just because we exist. He still possesses glory and God is worthy of glory even without creation, right? Even without creation, he's still worthy of glory because he is still God. And he is still perfect and he is still holy and he is still just. I mean, all the words that apply to him exist whether creation exists or not. So is he dependent upon his creation to receive glory? I would suggest no. I would suggest he doesn't need us to give him glory in order to have it because he already possesses it. Jonathan Edwards said, God is infinitely, eternally, unchangeably and independently glorious and happy. He stands in no need of, cannot be profited by, or receive anything from the creature. He cannot be hurt or be subject to any sufferings or his glory impaired in any, from any other being. And I believe that that statement is true. I believe that God exists and his glory is his glory and it doesn't matter what we do or don't do for him to possess glory or to be glorified. Now I'm going somewhere with this, so stick with me. So you're like, well, okay, so what's our purpose then? If he doesn't need us to give him glory, then okay, then why are we here? What's the point? So if all was created, if we talked, as we talked about earlier, everything was created for him, right? From, from uh, what did we say? Where was that? Colossians. If everything was created for him and all that was created for his glory and his glory exists even without his creation, then, then again, why, why are we here? And this is, this is the last point. This is point number three already. Can you believe it? Point number three, God wishes to communicate all that he is to his creation. Because God cares about his creation. 
for his glory. God cares about you for his glory. Okay, go to John, John chapter 1. And I know pastor's been here for months already, uh, and I'm not looking to preach anything he has preached or different things, but John chapter 1. <clears throat> We'll start with verse number one. And I will read this and think about the statement we just made. If everything he created was for his glory and his glory exists even without his creation, why are we here? And we know that God wishes to communicate who he is to us as his people. John chapter one, verse number one says, in the beginning was the word. We know that as Jesus and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things creation, everything, was, were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and, li and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. So we know, again, if God wants to communicate all he is, and all that he exists of, and everything that pertains to him to us, his creation... And we understand he existed from the beginning. And he, again, he made everything that he made. And when he came for, for us as men after the fall, after Adam and Eve sinned, the purpose for him was to bring us light. Okay, again, to, to redeem us, to, to get rid of the darkness that we were in because of sin and bring us light. Now, again, to bring us light, why? Well, to redeem us, yes, but also to bring us light for his glory. So he not only created everything for his glory, and if you go back before the fall where everything was perfect, right? He said it was very good. It, it existed to glorify him, and he got glory and honor from the things that he created, including Adam and Eve before they sinned. But now after they sin and darkness falls and comes to all men, now he now receives glory from bringing light to men and redeeming men, and he gets glory from that. So understanding, now, uh, sorry, drop down to number 14. We'll read verse number 14 as well. This says, And the word was made flesh, as Jesus came to this earth and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now we behold his glory. And again, that word, the word glory there is doxa in, in the Greek, which means dignity, honor, worship, praise. Right? So he came to this earth, became flesh, and, and humankind beheld his glory in person. And they saw that he deserved the glory. And he came and became like us to give us light, to redeem us for his glory. Not for our glory. I mean, we benefit. We benefit with eternal life in heaven forever. But he didn't do, he did it for us, but that purpose of doing it for us was also doing it for his glory. Our redemption is because it glorifies him. Not, not only because it saves us and gives us redemption, gives us a home in heaven, that's a byproduct of it, but really, he did it for his glory. Okay, so now again, continue to think, why do I exist? What's my purpose on this earth? So understanding or knowing that Jesus became human so that we can have a redeemer is understanding his glory. Okay, so when you... When you got saved and you understood and know, have the knowledge of what Jesus did for you, you begin to understand his glory and see his glory in your salvation. True joy and happiness in our lives as the creation cannot exist without God the creator. Right? So God brings glory. He, gives, he gets glory because he is everything. True happiness, that's him. That, that exists 
and who he is. True joy, fulfillment, pleasure, good things all exist because of him and that he is those things. So as Christians, we understand true joy and fulfillment in life and things that bring us just simple happiness only exist with him, only exist with God. It's, it's unattainable without him. True happiness. So when we try to chase things that we think bring us happiness in this life and they're temporal and they don't, they're not, they're not, they don't bring God glory, we are chasing something that cannot make us happy. It cannot bring you joy. It can maybe bring you some kind of pleasure in the moment, but it doesn't last. And it can, it's impossible. You, I mean, people try to run from God to find pleasure or find happiness in their life, and they think going away from his will and what he wants is what's going to give them happiness. They will never, ever, ever find it. Not one human being will ever find true joy or happiness apart from God. It, is, it does not exist. But we, I mean, we do it in our lives as Christians. We chase other things that aren't what God has for us thinking it's going to bring us some kind of happiness or joy. And you can fill in the blank with whatever you want in those instances, but they will not succeed. Never has, never will. It's impossible. Okay? So true joy and happiness in our lives only exists because of him. And God alone gets the glory when his creation, again, it reminds you, created in whose image? His image, right? We're created in his image, comes to that knowledge. So when we as his creation come to the knowledge that glory belongs to him and happiness, true happiness and joy can only come from him, he gets glory in that. Because no, no other being can produce and give what he gives. Your dad can't do it for you. Your boss can't do it for you. Superstars, movie stars, famous people, your spouse, your kids, your parents. Nobody can give you what God gives you. And so when his people, his creation, comes to an understanding that that is the case, that brings him glory. When people get saved, when they understand that they cannot save themselves from, from eternal damnation, God gets glory from that because he's the only one that can do it. And so when we understand that, when the creation understands and knows that, it brings him glory. So he gets glory in our redemption because he's the only one that can, can do it. He's the only one, the sole one that can do it. So that joy and fulfillment that exists for the creation, us, is a reflection of God himself. And that shows his glory. So when we're f- truly joyful in the Lord and we're happy and we're satisfied and we're living our life according to what he has laid out is the best for us, the only way we can get that is by doing those things. It reflects God himself. And he gets glory from that. So when you have a fulfilling life, when you strive to live the way the Lord wants you to live, that type of living and understanding that only he can give it to you brings him glory because it reflects who he is. Joy reflects the Lord. No one else. No one can bring joy but him. So when you live joyfully and true happiness and fulfillment, it reflects who he is. You reflect who he is based on the way you live your life. That brings him glory. Go to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Now this, this thought humbled me, convicted me, blew my mind, made me stop, made me think. Even Jesus as a man, 
right? So Jesus came to this earth, became a man in his most trying time of life, counted his father's glory worth going through what he went through. Okay, so think about that. And we'll read this here. John chapter 12, drop down to verse number 23. John chapter 12, verse number 23. And Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come that the son of man should be glorified. Okay, glory brought to him, honor, worship. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Now, what is, what is that much fruit? If you understand what he's talking, he's talking about himself dying on the cross to bring forth much fruit. What is that much fruit? Who is that much fruit? It's us. That's, his, that's us as re- redeemed individuals that are saved because of his death. So again, talking about him being glorified, and he explains it in a way that I will be glorified if, if I, like a wheat, die to produce more fruit. Okay? Verse number 25. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there, also, there shall also my servant be. If, if any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Jesus, the Son of God, God himself said, now is my soul troubled. Okay? I mean, think about that for a second. He is God. He, he, at this point, he knew everything that was going to happen. He knew why he had to do what he had to do. He knew the purpose and the reasons for those things, and he knew you would be a partaker in the things that he was going to do. He knew that then. And he said out loud, now is my soul troubled. Think about a time when your soul has, when your soul has been troubled. This, he's not saying I'm afraid. He's not saying I have physical fear. He's saying his soul, who he is, his being as God was troubled. Think about that. Think about Think about the times, again, you've been troubled and what that feeling is, that pressure, that weight, that scariness, that fear, that all those unknowns, right? And he says that's how he felt. He's saying, I, my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Again, verse number 27. Shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? He could have, he right? He could have said, I, don't want, I do not want to go through this. And I don't think it was just the physical pain. The beating and all that. I mean, I think it was the after he died, the things he had to do. I mean, he had to defeat death. He had to defeat the devil. That's not a, I got beat up. And I'm not trying to minimize the physical abuse he took, but it's bigger than, than the physical abuse he got. And I think that's what really troubled his soul, is the knowing what his purpose was and not just dying physically, but spiritually, the things he had to accomplish. Not because they were hard, or that he's afraid he wasn't going to be able to do them, but they, the, they were daunting. Can you imagine? He was the, the salvation of all humanity that ever existed, ever will exist, rested on his shoulders and his soul in that moment. So he says that, and he says, so what do I say? Father, save me from this hour? But he says, but for this cause came I unto this hour. So then here we get to the part that, that we're speaking of. Father, glorify thy name. That was the result. That was his conclusion. My soul is troubled. I have to die for other people to live, for humanity to live. Shall I try to get out of this? No, I'm here because of this. So, Father, glorify thy name. 
He was willing to go through everything, all the suffering, the physical pain, the torment, the torture, for God's glory. He was willing to do those things for God's glory. That was the reason. Was it to save us? Yes. Absolutely. It was to redeem us. But not, it's, hard to, it's hard to wrap my mind around because it is bigger than a redeeming us, but it's also the same. They are the same. Glorifying God and redeeming us are co-equal. But to me, it feels bigger to glorify God than even it does to save my soul. God, Jesus was saying, I want to glorify your name, Father, and so I will go through the thing that troubles my soul as the Son of God. I will go through that to glorify you. And the byproducts of those are our, our redemption and our salvation. Jesus took comfort in knowing that what he was going to go through, the result was his Father's glory. God's glory, which he has. Okay, that's what Jesus was willing to do. Glory to his Father's name because of the suffering he was going to go through was worth it. Our redemption, our salvation. Go to Romans chapter 8. Still with me? Okay, good. Romans chapter 8, verse number 28. We know this verse. You probably know it by heart. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What should we say to these, to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? So God knew who would be saved. He didn't decide who would be saved. You decide if you're going to accept his, his gift or not. But he knew who would be saved. And it says that we would become brethren. And then he said that we would be glorified. Because of what God had done, what Jesus had done, and given his Father glory would, part, would pass to us. right? And as we become more like him, as we conform to his image, as we conform to Jesus' image and who he was, as we change, as we become sanctified in the way that we live on this earth, we become more like Jesus, and when we become more like Jesus, we glorify God. So living a good life, living the right life, living a life based on what God's word said isn't just for your happiness and joy, although that comes with it. It's to bring God glory. So when we choose to live opposite of what God's word says, we choose to not bring him glory. We choose to bring ourselves glory. And we do it every day. We choose glory for ourselves every day over glory for him. When we choose to sin, when we choose to mouth off, when we choose to disobey, when we choose to treat people the way they shouldn't be treated, when we choose not to esteem others above ourselves, when we talk about other people, when we, when we just live nasty, and we're all capable of it, we choose to glorify what we want over glorifying God, who, when you go through some of the verses we just went through, I, I'd want to like hide somewhere because of how I live sometimes. And I'm not even saying I'm out, you know, robbing banks or, or blocking bridges so people can't get to work or whatever you want to say is bad. I'm not doing those things. I'm just being a jerk sometimes, being selfish, being a bad husband, right? Being a bad father, being just selfish as a human being. And when I act that way, I bring myself glory and selfishness and it makes me want to cower 
because I realize what Jesus did to bring God glory, to glorify his name, because he is owed it and do it and deserves it. So as we become more like Christ, we reflect God's glory. And because he infinitely values his own glory, right, consisting in the knowledge of himself, love of himself, and joy in himself, he therefore values the image, the communication and participation of those in his creation. That's a lot of words. Okay, I know. That was Jonathan Edwards again. The guy's a deep, deep thinker. Okay, so I'm going to say it again. Because he infinitely values God, because he infinitely values his own glory, infinitely values glory for him, consisting in the knowledge of himself, love to himself, and joy in himself, because of those things, he therefore values the image, that's us, and the communication and participation of those things in his creation. So when you communicate his glory, his love, his joy, and the knowledge of him to others, to your family, to those you don't know, to the world, you communicate and participate in the things that bring him glory. And that's why he loves us. And that's why he redeemed us. And that's why he brought light to us. Because as we transfer our, the way we live to be more like him, and we communicate the things that bring him glory to people around us by our words and by our lifestyle and by living how he is said to live, we give him glory. And that's what he wants. And that's what he deserves. And that's why we should live that way. And this is why he loves us so much. He loves us so much because we can, we can produce glory in him by living the way his son and the way his word tells us to. That's why it's important. That's why it's important to love, to read your Bible. That's why it's important to know what he wants from you. That's why, that's why it's important where, I mean, it's, it's the ultimate to understand what God wants for your life and to do it. Not because he's controlling you, you're not a puppet, but because it brings him glory that he deserves. Because he loves us so, so much. So because we have this knowledge and understanding, and I'm, I'm finished here, a couple of verses you understand, or verses you know again, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, what? Do all to the glory of God. That encapsulates life. And we know that, and you've memorized that verse, you know that verse, but do you live that verse? I don't. I miss, I fail at living that verse all the time. But if I ask myself, why do I exist? If I contemplate, why did God create everything he created? That verse has to become part of my life. It has to. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. What? I love that. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. Now immediately, as teenagers and probably adults, we bristle. Not my own. I am my own person. I make my own choices, I make my own life, I do what I want. Eh. For ye are bought with a price. Oh, you're not your own, no matter what you say. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. His redemption of your eternal soul has purchased you. And not because he has purchased you and now you have to do his bidding and and your life is miserable. He has purchased you because he has saved you from the, the damnation that was your deserved. And because of that, everything you are, everything your body, your spirit, everything you possess should be lived to glorify him. Because he is due that. So this is why we're here. This is why we exist. We exist to bring him glory. And that's a big overarching thing. 
but all that big overarching thing that comes to your life practically and, and specifically and personally, you know what those things are. And you know what those things are that you struggle with that don't bring him glory. And you, we, every one of us does it every day. We have our things every day that don't bring God glory, that bring us glory. So does your, what, does your life bring God glory? That's why you're here. That's your purpose for living. That's your purpose for existing, for waking up tomorrow morning when the sun comes up or before the sun comes up or after lunchtime. Whenever you get up, I don't care. Not meddling. You get up when you're supposed to. But when you do wake up, does your life glorify him? Or does it glorify you? Does it honor you? Do you attempt to live your life day to day so that who he is and who he has always been is reflected in your actions, your words, and your thoughts? And when it's not, why? And are you okay with that? We shouldn't be. We should not be okay with every day that we wake up the moments that who he is and who he has always been is ref not reflected in us. But what we want to be in, in sin and carnality is reflected by who we are, our thoughts, our words, our actions. It's our reason to exist. Glorifying him is your reason to live. It's your reason to wake up tomorrow. And as Christians who are in church on a Wednesday, who profess to believe that he is who he says he is, and that this word is true, and we try to live our lives by it, what, what progress are we making there? What changes can we make to ensure that the reason we exist is to bring him glory? All right, let's pray. You can stand with me if you would. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Lord, I'm grateful for your mercy. I'm, th I'm grateful for your tenderheartedness and your long-suffering spirit, Lord. Because I fail in bringing you glory through the way I live countless times. And you still love me. And you still, you don't take back your redemption of me. You don't take back salvation. You don't take back your blessings. You don't take back the good that is in my life because of you, because of how I live. But Lord, help me to constantly have the thought and, and live in such a way that I try to bring glory to you in how I think, talk, act, everything that I do. Help us as your people to understand, and we know we have the knowledge of your salvation, so we have the understanding and can have the knowledge of why it's worth glorifying you and what things those are that do glorify you. Lord, help us to live our life in such a way that that is the case. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.